One of the things that's so interesting about the world and the way people pray is that they always have to be called to prayer. You know how this is? People are doing their, their business, they're going through their day, and in all the world's religious traditions, there's something that yanks them out of the ordinary to prayer, and it's usually a noise of some sort. You know, there, there's a, a gong that's being hit in some way, or a horn that's being blown, or, or bells that chime loudly and, and sort of wake them up to say, oh, it's time to pray again. That's sort of the tradition in the cultures of the world. Because we do have this way of sort of moving into the ordinary and forgetting things that matter most. And it's interesting how fast that happens. I, I think spiritually speaking, we have this sort of amnesia on any given day when we can forget how beautiful the world is, how thick it is with meaning, how significant we are as God's children, how beloved we are. On any given day, we can lose touch with that, just like that. And so the world's religious traditions call us to prayer, and, and they often do it by sort of clamoring their way into this sort of normality that we're having. We're just going about our business and all of a sudden there's a bell going off. We have to do that for one another, don't we? When we come into a place like this, just a normal Wednesday morning, we have to say, wake up, pay attention. It's time to pay attention to God. So we're gonna have just a moment where we call ourselves to worship. And I don't know how many, we've got maybe eight or 900 folks in here at least. I just want you to listen to one another as we say this together as we call ourselves beyond what is ordinary and realize again that God is present, that God is. So just say this after me. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now say it again together, ready? This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. One more time and listen to one another. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let's stand together this morning and sing.
make beautiful things out of the dust. You either believe that or you don't. And I'll be honest, some days, some days I get it, and some days I don't. It's a nice story, though, to think that God makes beautiful things out of the dust, and it makes me feel better when I'm an idiot. I mean, Saul, in the story we just heard in Scripture, he's yelling things like, I will kill you, and if you don't shut up talking about God, I will kill you. And then Saul, not like our culture where we say stuff and we really don't mean it, Saul actually backed it up, and he actually did it. And then just after that, God says in Scripture that Paul, once he changed his name, was God's chosen instrument. And I'll be real candid with you, that doesn't make sense to me. That this person who said all these awful, awful things about followers of Christ was God's chosen instrument. I hire people a lot in my job here, and I'm always looking for the most qualified candidate. And most of you are going to be looking for jobs in the next several years and careers, and you're going to be doing interviews. And I can tell you that you're going to want to talk about your strengths. You're going to want to talk about what you bring to the table. How can you make the company better? Why are you the most qualified candidate? Because, see, what you want to be is that company's chosen instrument, right? But it seems that throughout Scripture, God doesn't quite work that way. You're going to kind of want to put yourself up there as the squeaky clean person who just fits perfectly. And God never looks for the squeaky clean person. In fact, before Saul was ever mentioned as God's chosen instrument, he had to go blind. We heard the passage read earlier that these people were traveling with him along this road to Damascus. You probably know the story. And they, they, uh, Saul falls to the ground, and he opened his eyes. And when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything, so he was blind. And this is what it says. For three days he was blind, and he didn't eat or drink anything. And this is the part for me that's hard to swallow. I, I really like the God stories where I tell you stuff like, hey, you know what? God doesn't use the clean, squeaky clean person. God uses the messed up person because I consider myself partly a messed up person, and most of you probably do too. I love those stories where God looks at my perversion and my brokenness and my absolute disregard for anyone other than myself, and he says to me, Ryan, you are a messed up guy, and you are the perfect instrument. And I wish it all worked that way all the time. But in this story, Paul has to go blind first. And that's the part I don't like at all. I don't like walking through the darkness. But I'll tell you what, walking through the darkness is something I know a little about. I've never been blind for three days, but I do know what it's like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and this may surprise you because I know how to put on a face, but I know exactly what it's like to wake up in the morning and see only darkness. 
I know exactly what it's like to walk through the day with a veil of depression covering my eyes that I simply can't seem to shake. And I know really well what it's like to go to bed at night and not know if I will or if I even want to wake up in the morning. I know what that's like. And I bet a lot of you do too. This is the hard stuff. This is the reality that life is not easy, that life is hard, and that it takes everything we've got just to manage sometimes, just to get through the day. And I got to tell you, if you're looking at me right now with any air of judgment whatsoever, you just haven't lived long enough yet because it's going to get there. Here's the part I cling to. Paul got up from the ground, realized that he couldn't see, and his friends led him by hand to Damascus. His community led him by hand to Damascus. When Paul couldn't see, those who loved him cared enough about him to be his eyes. To be his eyes. And eventually, after days and days of not eating or drinking, and maybe Paul wondered if this is just what life's going to be like from now on. And sometimes it is. But after days and days of waiting, God sent relief. Relief in this case, you didn't hear this part of the story. Relief in this case came in a man by the name of Ananias. And Ananias did for Paul what Paul could not do for himself. He allowed him to see through the power of God. I'm in that place a lot of days. And you don't really know that about me. But I need community to lead me by the hand into a place where I can be safe. We all like to look like we have it all together, don't we? A lot of times that's just crap. But we can be safe until help arrives. And God helps us. You'll fall into both of these categories from time to time in your life. You may not want me to tell you that, but it's just true. And any grown person will tell you that that's just the reality. That there's going to be dark moments, days that you wake up and say... This is the darkest day in my life. And there's also going to be days where a friend of yours comes up and says, this is the darkest day in his or her life, and you're going to be the one who has to say, well, then let me grab you by the hand, just like Paul's friends did, and take you to Damascus or take you to a place where you can rest until help arrives. Either way, whether you're the one in the darkness or the one leading them to the light, blindness is just necessary. I really do believe that darkness is just part of the journey. It's necessary. At least it has been for me. I don't welcome it. I don't welcome the darkness, but I get it. If you see that today, just know that as I'm standing here before you, I get it. I bet Paul was told about the Psalms. This isn't in scripture at all, but I just kind of wonder if he was laying there in Damascus blind, couldn't see with his eyes. I kind of wonder if one of his friends came up and in the great oral tradition leaned down and started quoting Psalm 30 to him that says, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Or as Eugene Peterson puts it, the nights of crying your eyes out 
will eventually give way to days of laughter. And both are strangely part of the journey. So here it is once again, this theme that in my life has been so important in Scripture. This theme that in those nights where I'm not sure if I'll wake up, this theme wakes me up every morning. And it allows me to see the sun in my mind, even when all my eyes see are clouds. And that theme is simply this, hope. It's what Christ represents, hope. I've often said Christ is the hope of the world, and I don't, I don't use that as some trite phrase. I use it because I believe it, that Christ is our hope. In your blindness, there is hope. In your darkness, there is hope. And in those days that can seem like the darkest ever, there is always hope. And for this reason, for this reason, I can say with extreme authority this morning, thanks be to God. Let's stand together. Friends, students, may you know today that you are beautiful even when you're too blind to see it. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not a mistake. You are God's precious, precious creation. Amen.